Chapter 7, Part 1 of The Life of David Brainerd by John Stiles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7, Part 1. Mr. Brainerd's reception at Crossweeksung, his preaching, his journeys, his amazing success, an abridgment from his journal and extracts from his private diary, his illness and return from his last journey to Susquehanna. In the book of human life there are generally a few bright pages, and it is now the pleasing task of the biographer of Brainerd to record events the most delightful and satisfactory. Hitherto we have seen him the pious missionary, going forth weeping, bearing precious seed. But now the smile of joy lightens up his countenance, the days of his mourning are ended, and his reception and success at Crossweeksung abundantly prove that the conversion of untutored, uncivilized men to Christianity by the simple means of preaching is not an impossible nor a wild and imaginary thing. The gospel among bond and free, the civilized and barbarous, when accompanied with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, is the power of God unto salvation. The sons of worldly wisdom, who take only a superficial glance of the subject, who judge of Christianity as a mere human system, exclaim, quote, Civilize before you attempt to evangelize. End quote. But from the success of Brainerd among the American savages, it appears that instruction in the Christian religion is the best and most effectual means of civilization. And as to the difficulties of teaching this religion to barbarians, it was found equally difficult to teach it to polished in Athens and learned in Rome. Christ was crucified by a civilized people, and so were his apostles and first evangelists. Divine influence is, at all times and in all circumstances, absolutely necessary to render the preaching of the gospel successful in the conversion of souls, and if this be withheld, whether in Britain or in Africa, the carnal mind, savage or civilized, will be enmity against God. Like Paul, the missionaries and ministers of Christ, quote, are debtors to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, end quote. And while this command and promise stand on record, quote, Go ye forth and preach the gospel to every creature, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, end quote, the outward circumstances of men can never abrogate a law which provides against every discouragement. Duty is plain and difficulties should not be considered. They must smooth themselves away before the agency of the Holy Spirit, and missionaries should not tremble at the prospect of what they conceive to be insurmountable barriers, for, quote, he can add wings when he commands to fly, end quote. The crying sin of Christians in ages that are past has been that they have conferred with flesh and blood and staggered at the promise of God through unbelief, and it will be well if the blood of souls be not required at our hands, quote, Deliver thy servants from blood guiltiness, O Lord. End quote. When Mr. Brainerd arrived at Crossweeksung, he found but few persons and perceived that the Indians in those parts were very much scattered, there being not more than two or three families in a place, and these small settlements, six, ten, fifteen, twenty, and thirty miles from the spot which he had chosen, on which to commence his labors. To those few, however, who were there at the time he preached, they appeared well disposed, and when he informed them that he was willing to preach to them again the next day, the women, for he had no male hearers, 
like the woman of Samaria, seemed desirous that others might see the man that told them what they had done in their lives past, and the misery that attended their idolatrous ways, and they readily set out and traveled ten or fifteen miles, in order to give notice to some of their friends at that distance. It will be interesting to furnish the reader at one view with his private experience and public labors and success. I shall therefore present them in connected relation, blending the most important parts of his diary and journal, and interspersing now and then a few lines to give information respecting his removals from place to place. June 20th. Towards night I preached to the Indians again and had more hearers than before. In the evening I enjoyed peace and serenity of mind, composure and comfort in prayer, and was enabled to lift up my head with joy under an apprehension that my redemption draws nigh. O oh, blessed be God that there remains a rest to his poor weary people. 21st. I was refreshed in secret prayer, but saw myself a poor worthless creature without wisdom to direct or strength to help myself. Blessed be God that lays me under a happy necessity of living upon himself. 22nd. About noon I rode to the Indians again, and near night preached to about thirty of them. I found my body much strengthened, and was enabled to speak with abundant plainness and warmth. And the power of God evidently attended the word, so that sundry persons were brought under great concern for their souls, and made to shed many tears, and to wish for Christ to save them. My soul was much refreshed and quickened in my work, and I could not but spend much time with them, in order to open both their misery and remedy. While riding, before I came to the Indians, I was enabled to cry to God almost incessantly. In the evening, also, I found the consolations of God were not small. I was then willing to live, and in some respects desirous of it, that I might do something for the kingdom of Christ, and yet death appeared pleasant, so that I was in a strait between the two. I am often weary of this world, but it is desirable to be drawn, rather than driven, out of it. Lord's Day, June 23rd. I preached to the Indians and spent the day with them. Their number still increased, and all with one consent seemed to rejoice in my coming among them. Not a word of opposition was heard from any, although in times past they had been quite opposite to anything of that nature. 24th. I preached to the Indians at their desire and upon their own notion. To see poor pagans desirous of hearing the gospel of Christ animated me to discourse with them, although I was very weak and my spirits much exhausted. They attended with the greatest seriousness and diligence, and there was some concern apparent among them. 27th. I preached to the Indians again. Their number now amounted to about forty persons. Their solemnity and attention still continued, and a considerable concern for their souls became very apparent among sundry of them. 28th. The Indians, being now gathered a considerable number of them from their several distant habitations, requested me to preach twice a day to them, being desirous to hear as much as they could while I was with them. I cheerfully complied, and could not but admire the goodness of God, who had inclined them to inquire after the way of salvation. Twenty-ninth. I preached twice to the Indians, and could not but wonder at their seriousness and the strictness of their attention. Blessed be God that he has inclined their ears to hear. And oh, how refreshing it is to me to see them attend with such uncommon diligence and affection. I likewise saw the hand of God making provision for their subsistence together in order to their being instructed. For this day and the day before, with only walking a little way from the place of our daily meeting, they killed three deer, 
which were a seasonable supply for their wants, and without which they could not have subsisted together in order to attend the means of grace. Lord's Day, June 30th. I preached twice this day also, and observed more concern and affection among the poor heathens than ever, so that they even constrained me to tarry longer with them, although my constitution was exceedingly worn out, and my health much impaired by the late fatigues and labors, and especially by my late journey to Susquehanna. July 1st. I preached twice to a very serious and attentive assembly, who had now learned to attend the worship of God with Christian decency. There were now between forty and fifty persons of them present, old and young. I spent some time in discoursing with them in private, inquiring what they remembered of the great truths that had been taught to them. It was amazing to see how they had received and retained the instructions given them, and what a measure of knowledge some of them had acquired in a few days. Second, I was obliged to leave these Indians at Crossweeksung, thinking it my duty, as soon as health would admit, to visit those at the Forks of Delaware. When I came to take leave of them, they all earnestly inquired when I would come again, and expressed a great desire of being further instructed, and of their own accord agreed, that when I should come again, they would all meet and live together during my continuance with them, and that they would do their utmost endeavors to gather all the other Indians in those parts that were farther remote. And when I parted, one told me with many tears, she wished God would change her heart, and another that she wanted to find Christ and an old man that had been one of their chiefs wept bitterly. I then promised them to return as speedily as my health and business elsewhere would admit, and felt not a little concerned at parting, lest good impressions, then apparent upon them, might wear off. Afterwards I rode to Brunswick, near forty miles, and lodged there. I felt my heart draw out after God in prayer almost all the afternoon, and in the evening could not help crying to God for these poor Indians, and after I went to bed, my heart continued to go out to God for them until I dropped asleep. He was now so worn out by constant preaching that he found it necessary to give himself some relaxation. He spent, therefore, about a week in New Jersey, visiting several ministers and performing some necessary business. And though he was very weak in body, yet he seems to have been strong in spirit. On July 12th, he arrived at his own house in the Forks of Delaware, continuing still free from melancholy and from day to day enjoyed freedom and refreshment. Lord's Day, July 14th. I discoursed to the Indians twice, several of whom appeared convinced of their sin and misery, so that they wept much the whole time of divine service. Afterwards I discoursed to a number of white people then present. 18th. I longed to spend the little inch of time I have in the word of for God, felt a spirit of seriousness, tenderness, and devotion, and wished to spend the whole night in prayer and communion with God. 19th. In the evening I walked abroad for prayer and meditation, and enjoyed composure and freedom in these sweet exercises, especially in meditation on Revelation chapter 3 verse 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, etc. This was a delightful theme. O oh, when shall I go no more out from the service and enjoyment of my dear Lord? Lord, hasten the blessed day. Lord's Day 21st. I preached to the Indians first, then to a number of white people, and in the afternoon to the Indians again. Divine truths seemed to make very considerable impressions upon several of them, and caused the tears to flow freely. Afterwards, I baptized my interpreter and his wife, who were the first I baptized among the Indians. They are both persons of some experimental knowledge in religion, 
have both been awakened to a solemn concern for their souls, and brought to a sense of their misery and undoneness, and have both been comforted with divine consolations. It may perhaps be satisfactory that I should give some relation of my interpreter's experience since he has been with me. When I first employed him in the beginning of summer, 1744, he was well fitted for his work in regard of his acquaintance with the Indian and English language, and in regard of his desire that the Indians should conform to the customs and manners of the English. But he seemed to have no impression of religion, and in that respect was very unfit for his work, being incapable of understanding and communicating to others many things of importance, so that I labored under great disadvantages in addressing the Indians for want of his having an experimental acquaintance with divine truths. And at times I was much discouraged when I observed that divine truths made little or no impression upon him for many weeks together. He indeed behaved soberly, although before he had been a hard drinker, and seemed honestly engaged as far as he was capable in the performance of his work, and especially he was very desirous that the Indians should conform to the customs of the Christian world, but still seemed to have no concern about his own soul. Near the latter end of July, 1744, I preached to an assembly of white people with freedom and fervency, at which time he was present and somewhat awakened, so that the next day he discoursed freely with me about his spiritual concerns and gave me an opportunity to use farther endeavors to fasten the impressions upon his mind. I could indeed plainly perceive after this that he addressed the Indians with more concern and fervency. But these impressions seemed to decline until, in the fall of the year following, he fell into a weak state of body. At this season divine truth took hold of him and made deep impressions on his mind. He was brought under great concern for his soul and was burdened from day to day. His trouble prevailed until at length his sleep departed from him and he had little rest day or night, but walked about under great pressure of mind and appeared like another man to his neighbors, who could not but observe his behavior with wonder. After he had been some time striving for mercy, he says, there seemed to be an impassable mountain before him. He was pressing towards heaven, but his way was hedged up with thorns, and he could not stir an inch farther. He looked this way and that way, but could find no way at all. He felt it signified just nothing at all to strive and struggle any more. And here, he says, he gave over striving, and felt that it was a gone case with him as to his own power and all his attempts were, and forever would be, vain and fruitless. He knew, he said, he was not guilty of some wicked actions as others were guilty of. He had not been used to steal, quarrel, and murder, the latter of which is common among the Indians. He likewise knew that he had done many things that were right, but still his cry was that he had never done one good thing, meaning that he had never done anything from a right principle and with a right view, though he had done many things that were materially good. And now I thought, said he, that I must sink down to hell, that there was no hope for me, because I never could do anything that was good, and if God let me alone never so long, and I should try never so much, still I should do nothing but what is bad. There was one thing more in his view of things that was very remarkable. He not only saw what a miserable state he himself was in, but he saw the world around him were in the same perishing circumstances. And this he saw clearly, as if he now awaked out of sleep or had a cloud taken from before his eyes. He saw that the life he had lived was the way to eternal death, that he was now on the brink of endless misery, and when he looked around he saw multitudes of others who had lived the same life with himself, had no more goodness than he, and yet dreamed that they were safe enough as he had formerly done. 
after he had been for some time in this condition, sensible of the impossibility of helping himself, then, he says, it was borne in upon his mind as if it had been audibly spoken, There is hope, there is hope. Whereupon his soul seemed to rest and be in some measure satisfied, though he had no considerable joy. Neither can he remember distinctly any views he had of Christ, or give any clear account of his acceptance through him. But these exercises of soul were followed by a great change, so that it might justly be said he was become another man. He was much altered, and even the world could not but admire what had befallen him to make so great a change in his temper, discourse, and behavior. And especially there was a surprising alteration in his public performances. He now addressed the Indians with admirable fervency, and scarce knew when to leave off, and sometimes when I had concluded my discourse and was returning homeward, he would tarry behind to repeat and inculcate what had been spoken. His change is abiding, and his life unblemished to this day, though it is now more than six months since he experienced it, in which space he has been as much exposed to strong drink as possible in diverse places, and yet has never discovered any desire after it. He seems to have a very considerable experience of spiritual exercise, and discourses freely of the conflicts and consolation of a real Christian. His heart echoes to the soul-humbling doctrines of grace, and he never appears better pleased than when he hears of the absolute sovereignty of God and the salvation of sinners in a way of mere free grace. He has likewise of late had more satisfaction respecting his own state, has been much enlivened and insisted in his own work, so that he has been a great comfort to me. And upon strict observation of his Christian temper and unblemished behavior for so considerable a time, I think I have reason to hope that he is created anew in Christ Jesus to good works. His name is Moses Tinda Tautami. He is about fifty years of age and pretty well acquainted with the notions and customs of his countrymen, and so is the better able to expose them. He has already been, and I trust will yet be, a blessing to other Indians. July 26th. In the evening, God was pleased to help me in prayer beyond what I have experienced for some time, especially for the enlargement of Christ's kingdom and for the conversion of my poor people. My soul relied on God for the accomplishment of that great work. Oh, how sweet were the thoughts of death to me at this time! How I longed to be with Christ, to be employed in the glorious work of angels, and with an angel's freedom, vigor, and delight. And yet how willing was I to stay a while on earth, that I might do something, if the Lord pleased, for his interest. My soul longed for the ingathering of the poor heathen, and I cried to God for them most willingly and heartily. This was a sweet season. I had a lively taste of heaven, and a temper suited in some measure to the entertainment of it. My soul was grieved to leave the place, but my body was weak and worn out. I longed that the remaining part of my life might be filled up with more fervency and activity in the things of God. Oh, the inward peace, composure, and godlike serenity of such a frame! Heaven must needs differ from this only in degree and not in kind. Lord's Day, July 28th. I preached again and perceived my people more thoughtful than ever. I was told by some that seeing my interpreter and his wife baptized made them more concerned than anything they had ever seen or heard. There was indeed a considerable appearance of divine power among them at the time that ordinance was administered. July 30th. I discoursed to a number of my people and gave them particular advice and direction, being now about to leave them for the present in order to renew my visits to the Indians at New Jersey. They were very attentive and earnestly desirous to know when I designed to return. 
On July 31st, he set out on his return to Crossweeksung and arrived there the next day. In his way, he had longing desires that he might come to the Indians in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ, attended with a sense of his own great weakness, dependence, and worthlessness. August 2nd. In the evening I retired and my soul was drawn out in prayer to God, especially for my poor people, to whom I had sent word to gather together, that I might preach to them the next day. I was much enlarged in praying for their conversion, and scarce ever found my desires of anything of this nature so sensibly and clearly and free from selfish views. I had no desire to be the instrument of so glorious work as I prayed for among the Indians. If the blessed work might be accomplished to the honor of God and the enlargement of the dear Redeemer's kingdom. This was all my desire and care, and for this mercy I hoped, but with trembling. My rising hopes respecting the conversion of the Indians have often been dashed that my spirit is as it were broken, and I hardly dare hope. Eighth. I now found them serious, and a number of them under deep concern for an interest in Christ, their convictions of their sinful and perishing state having, in my absence, been much promoted by the labors of the Reverend William Tennant, to whom I had advised them to apply, and whose house they had frequented much. I preached to them this day on Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I was enabled to set before them the Lord Jesus Christ as a kind and compassionate Savior, inviting distressed and perishing sinners to accept everlasting mercy. A surprising concern soon appeared among them. There were about twenty adult persons together, many of the Indians at remote places not having as yet had time to come since my return, and not above two that I could see with dry eyes. Some discovered vehement longings after Christ to save them from the misery they felt and feared. Lord's Day, August 4th. Being invited by a neighboring minister to assist in the administration of the Lord's Supper, I complied with his request and took the Indians along with me, not only those that were together the day before, but many more that were coming to hear me, so that there were near fifty in all. They attended the several discourses of the day. Some of them were much affected, and all seemed to have their concern raised. Now a change in their manners began to appear. In the evening, when they came to sup together, they would not taste a morsel till they had sent to me to come and ask a blessing on their food, at which time sundry of them wept, especially when I reminded them how they had, in times past, eat their feast in honor to devils and neglected to thank God for them. Fifth, after a sermon had been preached by another minister, I preached and concluded the public work of the solemnity from John chapter 7 verse 37. In my discourse, I addressed the Indians in particular who sat by themselves in a part of the house, at which time one or two of them were struck with deep concern who had been little affected before. Others had their concern increased to a considerable degree. In the evening I discoursed to them and found them universally engaged, inquiring what should they do to be saved. And all their conversation among themselves turned upon religious matters in which they were much assisted by my interpreter, who was with them day and night. This day there was one woman that had been much concerned ever since she heard me preach in June, who obtained comfort, I trust, solid and well-grounded. She seemed to be filled with love to Christ. At the same time, she behaved humbly and tenderly, and appeared afraid of nothing so much as grieving him whom her soul loved. Sixth. 
In the morning I discoursed to the Indians at the house where we lodged. Many of them were then much affected, so that a few words about their souls would cause the tears to flow freely and produce many sobs and groans. In the afternoon, they being returned to the place where I have usually preached among them, I again discoursed to them there. There were about fifty-five persons in all, about forty that were capable of attending divine service with understanding. I insisted upon First John chapter 4, verse 10, herein is love, etc. They seemed eager of hearing, but there appeared nothing very remarkable till near the close of my discourse, and then divine truths were attended with a surprising influence. There was scarce three in forty that could refrain from tears and bitter cries. They all as one seemed in an agony of soul to obtain an interest in Christ, and the more I discoursed of the love and compassion of God in sending his Son to suffer for the sins of men, and the more I invited them to come and partake of his love, the more their distress was aggravated. It was surprising to see how their hearts were pierced with the tender invitations of the gospel when there was not a word of terror spoken to them. There was this day two persons that obtained comfort, which, when I came to discourse with them, appeared solid, rational, and scriptural. After I had inquired into the grounds of their comfort, I asked what they wanted God to do further for them. They replied, they wanted Christ should wipe their hearts quite clean. Seventh. I preached to the Indians from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 and 10. There was a remarkable influence attending the word. Most were much affected and many in great distress, and some could neither go nor stand but lay flat on the ground as if pierced at heart, crying incessantly for mercy. Several were newly awakened, and it was remarkable that as fast as they came from remote places round about, the Spirit of God seemed to seize them. After public service, I found two persons more that had newly met with comfort, of whom I had good hopes, and a third that I could not but entertain some hopes of, so that here were now six in all that had got some relief from their spiritual distresses, and five whose experience appeared clear and satisfactory. Eighth. In the afternoon, I preached to the Indians. Their number was now about sixty-five persons, men, women, and children. I discoursed from Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 23, and was favored with uncommon freedom. There was much concern among them while I was discoursing publicly, but afterwards when I spoke to one and another more particularly, whom I perceived under concern, the power of God seemed to descend upon the assembly. Like a rushing mighty wind, and with an astonishing energy, bore down all before it. I stood amazed at the influence that seized the audience almost universally, and could compare it to nothing more aptly than a mighty torrent, that bears down and sweeps before it whatever is in its way. Almost all persons of all ages were bowed down together, and scarce one was able to withstand the shock of this surprising operation. Old men and women, who had been drunk wretches for many years, and some little children not more than six or seven years of age, appeared in distress for their souls, as well as persons of middle age. And it was apparent these children were not merely frighted with seeing the general concern, but were made sensible of their danger, the badness of their hearts, and their misery without Christ. The most stubborn hearts were now obliged to bow. A principal man among the Indians, who before thought his state good, because he knew more that the generality of the Indians and who, with great confidence the day before, told me he had been a Christian more than ten years, was now brought under solemn concern for his soul, and wept bitterly. 
Another man, considerable in years, who had been a murderer, a paw wall, and a notorious drunkard, was likewise brought now to cry for mercy with many tears, and to complain much that he could be no more concerned when he saw his danger so great. There were almost universally praying and crying for mercy in every part of the house, and many out of doors, and numbers could neither go nor stand. Their concern was so great, each for himself, that none seemed to take any notice of those about them, but each prayed for themselves, and were, to their own apprehension, as much retired as if every one had been by himself in a desert, or rather, they thought nothing about any but themselves, and so were every one praying apart, although all together. It seemed to me there was an exact fulfillment of that prophecy, Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10, 11, and 12, for there was now a great mourning like the mourning of Hadadrimon, and each seemed to mourn apart. Methought this had a near resemblance to the day of God's power mentioned Joshua chapter 10 verse 14. For I must say I never saw any day like it in all respects. It was a day wherein the Lord did much destroy the kingdom of darkness among this people. This concern was most rational and just. Those who had been awakened any considerable time complained especially of the badness of their hearts, those newly awakened of the badness of their lives and actions, and all were afraid of the anger of God and of everlasting misery as the desert of their sins. Some of the white people who came out of curiosity to hear what this babbler would say to the poor ignorant Indians were much awakened and appeared to be wounded with a view of their perishing state. Those who had lately obtained relief were filled with comfort. They appeared calm and rejoiced in Christ Jesus, and some of them took their distressed friends by the hand, telling them of the goodness of Christ and the comfort that is to be enjoyed in him, and invited them to come and give up their hearts to him. And I could observe some of them, in the most unaffected manner, lifting up their eyes to heaven as if crying for mercy, while they saw the distress of the poor souls around them. There was one remarkable instance this day that I cannot but take particular notice of. A young Indian woman, who I believe never knew before she had a soul, hearing that there was something strange among the Indians, came to see what was the matter. I had not proceeded far in my discourse before she felt effectually that she had a soul, and before I had concluded, was so convinced of her sin and misery, and so distressed with concern for her soul, that she seemed like one pierced through with a dart, and cried out incessantly. She could neither go, nor stand, nor sit on her seat without being held up. After public service was over, she lay flat on the ground, praying earnestly, and would take no notice of, nor give any answer to anyone that spoke to her. I hearkened to hear what she said, and perceived the burden of her prayer to be, Gutam maka lema, wekama kmlek nada, i.e., have mercy on me, and help me give you my heart. And thus she considered, praying incessantly for many hours. August 9th. I spent almost the whole day with the Indians, the former part of it in discoursing with them privately, especially some who lately received comfort, and endeavoring to inquire into the grounds of it, as well as to give them some proper instructions, cautions, and directions. In the afternoon, I discoursed to them publicly. There were now present about seventy persons. I opened and applied the parable of the sower and was enabled to discourse with much plainness. 
There were many tears among them while I was discoursing, but no considerable cry. Yet some were much affected with a few words spoken from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, with which I concluded. But while I was discoursing near night to two or three of the awakened persons, a divine influence seemed to attend what was spoken, which caused the persons to cry out in anguish of soul, although I spoke not a word of terror, but on the contrary set before them the fullness of Christ's merits and his willingness to save all that came to him. The cry of these was heard by others, who, though scattered before, immediately gathered round. I then proceeded in the same strain of gospel invitation till they were all melted into tears and cries, except two or three, and seemed in the greatest distress to find and secure an interest in the great Redeemer. Some who had but little more than a ruffle made in their passions the day before seemed now to be deeply affected, and the concern in general appeared near as prevalent as the day before. There was indeed a very great mourning among them, and yet every one seemed to mourn apart. For so great was their concern that almost every one was praying and crying for himself as if none had been near. Gutum maca luma, gutum maca lume, i.e., have mercy upon me, have mercy upon me, was the common cry. It was very affecting to see the poor Indians, who the other day were yelling in their idolatrous feasts, now crying to God with such importunity for an interest in his dear son. I found two or three who I hope had taken comfort upon good grounds since the evening before, and these with others that had obtained comfort were together, and seemed to rejoice much that God was carrying on his work with such power upon others. August 10th. I began to discourse privately with those who had obtained comfort, endeavoring to instruct, direct, caution, and comfort them. But others, being eager of hearing every word that related to spiritual concerns, soon came together one after another. And when I had discoursed to the young converts more than half an hour, they seemed much melted with divine things and earnestly desirous to be with Christ. When I had spent some time with these, I turned to the other Indians and spoke to them from Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I had not discoursed long before their concern rose to a great degree, and the house was filled with cries and groans. And when I insisted on the compassion and care of the Lord Jesus Christ for those that were lost and could find no way of escape, this melted them down the more, and aggravated their distress, that they could not come to so kind a Savior. Sundry persons, who before had been but slightly awakened, were now deeply wounded. And one man in particular, who was never before awakened, was now made to feel that the word of the Lord was quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. He seemed to be pierced to the heart and said, All the wickedness of his past life was brought fresh to his remembrance, and he saw all the vile actions he had done formerly, as if done but yesterday. I found one that had newly received comfort after pressing distress from day to day. I could not but admire the divine goodness. There seemed to be some good done by every discourse, some newly awakened every day, and some comforted. Lord's Day, August 11th. I discoursed in the forenoon from the parable of the prodigal son. In the afternoon, I discoursed upon part of St. Peter's sermon, Acts chapter 2, and at the close of my discourse to the Indians, made an address to the white people, and divine truth seemed to be attended with power both to the English and Indians. Several of the white heathen were awakened and could no longer be idle spectators, but found they had souls to save as well as the Indians, 
and a great concern spread through the whole assembly, so that this also appeared to be a day of God's power. The number of Indians, old and young, was now upwards of seventy, and one or two were newly awakened this day, who never appeared to be moved before. Those that had obtained comfort had given evidences of a saving change, appeared humble and devout, and behaved in an agreeable and Christian manner. I was refreshed to see the tendencies of conscience manifest in some of them. Perceiving one of them very sorrowful in the morning, I inquired into the cause of her sorrow, and found she had been angry with her child the evening before, and was in fear lest her anger had been inordinate, which so grieved her, that she waked and began to sob before daylight, and continued weeping for several hours together. August 14th. I spent the day with the Indians. There was one of them who had some time since put away his wife, as is common among them, and taken another woman, and being now brought under some serious impressions, was earnestly desirous to know what God would have him to do. When the law of God respecting marriage had been opened to them, and the cause of his leaving his wife inquired into, and when it appeared she had given him no just occasion by unchastity to desert her, and that she was willing to forgive his past misconduct, he was then told that it was his indispensable duty to renounce the woman he had last taken, and receive the other who was his proper wife, with which he cheerfully complied, and thereupon publicly renounced the woman he had last taken, and publicly promised to live with his wife during life. And there appeared a clear demonstration of the power of God's word upon their hearts. A few weeks before, the whole world could not have persuaded him to a compliance with Christian rules in this affair. August 15th, I preached from Luke chapter 4, verse 16. The word was attended with power upon the hearts of the hearers. There was much concern, many tears, and affecting cries among them, and some were deeply wounded and distressed. There were some newly awakened who came but this week, and convictions seemed to be promoted in others. Those that had received comfort were likewise refreshed and strengthened, and the work of grace appeared to advance in all respects. Sixteenth, I spent a considerable time in conversing privately with sundry of the Indians. I found one that had got comfort, after pressing concern, and could not but hope, when I discoursed with her that her comfort was of the right kind. In the afternoon I preached from John chapter 6, verses 26 and 34. Toward the close of my discourse, divine truths were attended with considerable power upon the audience, and more especially after public service was over, when I particularly addressed the distressed persons. There was a great concern for their souls spread generally among them, but especially there were two persons newly awakened to a sense of their sin and misery, one of whom was lately come, and the other had all along been very attentive and desirous of being awakened, but could never before have any lively view of her perishing state. But now her spiritual distress was such that I had never seen any more pressing. Sundry old men were also in distress for their souls, so that they could not refrain from weeping and crying aloud, and their bitter groans were the most convincing as well as affecting evidence of the depth of their inward anguish. God is powerfully at work among them. True and genuine convictions of sin are daily promoted in many instances, and some are newly awakened from time to time. Seventeenth, I spent much time in private conference with the Indians. I found one who had newly obtained comfort after a long season of spiritual distress, he having been one of my hearers in the forks of Delaware for more than a year, and now followed me hither under deep concern, and I had abundant reason to hope that his comfort was well grounded. August nineteenth. 
I rode to Freehold and preached to a considerable assembly from Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It pleased God to leave me dry and barren, but he has made my soul acquiesce in his will. It is contrary to flesh and blood to be cut off from all freedom in a large auditory, where their expectations are much raised. But so it was with me, and God helped me to say, Good is the will of the Lord. 23rd. I spent some time with the Indians in private discourse, afterwards preached to them from John chapter 6, verses 44 through 50. There was a great attention and some affection among them. Several appeared deeply concerned for their souls and could not but express their inward anguish by tears and cries, but the amazing influence that has been so powerfully among them seems at present in some degree abated. 24th. I spent the forenoon in discoursing to some of the Indians in order to their receiving the ordinance of baptism. When I had opened the nature of the ordinance, the obligations attending it, the duty of devoting ourselves to God in it, and the privilege of being in covenant with Him, sundry of them seemed to be filled with love to God and delighted with the thought of giving up themselves to Him in that solemn and public manner. Afterwards, I discoursed publicly from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13-17. through 17. There was solemn attention and visible concern in the time of public service, which was afterwards increased by some further exhortation given them to come to Christ and give up their hearts to him, that they might be fitted to ascend up and meet him in the air, when he shall descend with a shout and the voice of the archangel. There were several Indians newly come who thought their state good because they had lived with the white people under gospel light, although they were altogether unacquainted with the power of religion. With those I discoursed particularly after public worship and was surprised to see their self-righteous disposition, their strong attachment to the covenant of works, and the high value they put upon their supposed attainments. Yet after much discourse, one appeared convinced that by the deeds of the law no flesh living should be justified, and wept bitterly inquiring what he must do to be saved. End of chapter 7, part 1